is before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Uh, it's good to be with you. And to open up the scriptures, um, if you're here with us on YouTube, uh, we're glad you're with us. If you're new, you can go ahead and email us if you'd like. Sid at northcrosschurch.com, info at northcrosschurch.com will work as well. If you're new with us in person, we're really glad you're here, and we just hope you feel welcomed. There is a welcome table out there. You're welcome to give uh, an email. We can reach out to you, or um, you can just pick up a mug, a coffee mug, and a few other things about the church that are there, too. Uh, and finally, if you're here and you don't feel quite connected, it's a new year, new you, but you're still trying to figure out your way in 2022, um, in North Cross, we just recommend jumping into a life group if you haven't tried one yet. Uh, and you're welcome to try more than one. So don't feel like you're stuck if you don't like it. Um, you can move on. Uh, no one will be offended. And really just trying to find a fit for you in the community. Uh, one way to think about what we're doing on Sunday morning is it's like a little bit like the entrance hall of a house or like the lobby of a building. And really the living room or arguably the kitchen is the is the a life group. So settle into the house of North Cross is the, the point of that metaphor. And so we're happy to have you there. Anyway, and if you're just if you're here again um, and you're plugged in, uh, we're also super glad that you're here as well. Uh, I'm thankful to open up and say the scriptures together, as I said earlier. And this morning we're going to uh, spend some time in the New Testament letter of the Ephesians. We've been doing this in the winter and the spring. We started last fall, and we're looking in particular at God's vision for the church, for what the church is, and what the church is becoming. And really the vision that's presented for us in the book of Ephesians can actually be kind of startling. You know, it's both sort of kind of simultaneously underwhelming and also overwhelming. And um, it's just kind of in ways that we don't expect. And so simply put, the church is and always was meant to be an ordinary looking miracle. It's an ordinary looking miracle. And so last week we began, and we began to investigate the power and the love behind prayer. And um, we kind of admitted that, yes, oftentimes prayer doesn't look and feel powerful and lovely or all that important. But in our passage this morning, Paul shows and tells that prayer is all of those things and even more. And so we're going to continue to look at Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. But before we do that, uh, I would like to make myself a little less of a hypocrite, and I'm going to pray for our time. So let's pray together. Father, um, you know our hearts, and you know our hearts about um, your Bible, about church, about prayer, and you know um, that maybe there's a flame there, uh, but it sputters, or maybe it's a roaring fire. Um, regardless of where we are this morning, I pray that you would meet us and would you um, woo us or would you build us up? Would you embrace us? 
through your gospel, through your words to us. And Jesus, would you be more precious? Would you be more real? That's, that's the prayer of our hearts. And we pray that this time even uh, would lead us further into your presence. We ask this in your name. Amen. So several years ago, uh, I was in a prayer group and it was this, there was this wonderful man that kind of led it informally. I'll call him Johnny. Uh, Johnny was the functional pastor of this group of pastors that were praying together. Um, he was kind, he asked such good questions. And you know, when you shared, he, looked, it, it was, he was really paying attention to what you said. And so I was a bit surprised when Johnny shared one time that he and his wife, let's call her Susan, Johnny and Susan were struggling in their marriage. Um, look, I wasn't surprised that people were struggling with their marriage or that pastors who are people were struggling with their marriage. I just want to be clear. Pastors are human beings too. Uh, that's not surprising. Marriage can be so tough sometimes, can't it? But Johnny shared that Susan was frustrated with him and in particular was frustrated at feeling unconnected to Johnny. And so Johnny and Susan did the wise thing. They went to talk to somebody about their marriage. And this somebody, a marriage counselor, suggested, uh, gave this couple a piece of homework. And the homework was really interesting. The homework was this, at least once a week, after the kids were put to bed, Johnny was to sit across from Susan, and then Johnny was supposed to stare, without speaking, into Susan's eyes for four minutes straight. <laughs> And so, in our prayer group, Johnny said how incredibly awkward that was, and at the same time, slowly over time, rewarding. And there's actually research that shows that, that if you will do this practice, if you will maintain eye contact with a person, even a stranger, for four uninterrupted minutes, that, and by the way, you can blink, but looking away is a, is a no-go. Staring into someone else's eyes like that for just four minutes can actually bond the two of you closer. And it can actually break down existing barriers. And experience and research shows that some people are, can do this, <laughs> believe it or not. They feel connected, they feel felt, and they become friends or they fall more in love. But others just can't do this. They become unglued when they're looked at like that, right? They, let's just say we, break eye contact and eyes are filled with tears. And really, this is why staring contests are contests, right? I mean, it's hard. And why is that, right? Is it, is it hard to look at each other like this because of the shame, the guilt, the fear of Intimacy, or is it D, all of the above? <laughs> A pastor, Brian Habig, describes the heart of our passage as if Jesus, who dwells in our hearts through faith, as if Jesus were staring into our eyes and seeing into our inner being minute after uninterrupted minute. The book of Revelation describes Jesus, who... By the way, John is writing the book of Revelation. He, he loves Jesus, and he is loved by Jesus, but he describes Jesus' eyes like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like burnished bronze and refined in a furnace, and his voice was at the roar of many waters. That Jesus is seeing all the way to the bottom of our real hopes, our true dreams, as well as our secret hatreds, lusts, and the excuses and good behaviors that we sprinkle on top or mix into it. But our passage this morning tells us this Jesus, he loves us. He loves us with a breadth and a length and a height and a depth that surpasses all knowledge. Jesus loves us just as we are, not as we should be. But so many of us, so much of the time, become unglued when Jesus looks at us like this, right? Without saying a word, Jesus' uninterrupted gaze is asking some of us here, will you let me in? Again, will you let me in again? Will you let me in for the first time? Without saying a word, Jesus' intimate stare is asking others of us here, like Johnny with Susan, will you keep me in? Will you keep my love inside? And so often, we answer Jesus by breaking eye contact and our eyes can fill tears. You and I individually or as a church, we just can't handle the fullness of Jesus' love. But why is that, right? Is it the shame? Is it the guilt? Is it the fear of intimacy? Or is it all of the above? And then some. Paul gets this problem firsthand, and this is why he's praying this prayer, by the way. It's pretty amazing. He says this, and this is the words of Brian Habig. I love the paraphrase of the prayer he gives. He says, I want you, this is what Paul's praying for us, I want you to have such a unique experience of the love of Jesus Christ, so three-dimensional that you journey into it, that you climb the mountainsides of the love of Christ. I want you to experience that love so much that you cannot handle it presently with your own resources and strength, and God has to supernaturally strengthen you to take it all in. You see, Paul knows We all need the Spirit's supernatural strength. We need the Spirit's strength to comprehend and to experience the fullness of Jesus' love. And we need the Spirit's strength to let Jesus in and to keep him in our hearts through faith. And so Paul's telling us the way to tap into this, God's love. Paul's showing us the secret of the universe. We get to pray for the flood of God's love in Jesus for us. We can cry out the simple prayer, right? I can't, you can help. I can't, you can help. And once again, to pick up where we left off last week, we need to ask, how do we learn to pray more deeply? How do we learn to pray more quickly? How do we learn to pray for such a big and possibly big God, right? And once again, Paul explains how to pray in possibly big prayers by sharing his four-point prayer for us. And it's really, it's our outline this morning for our sermon. 
verses 14 through 17. First, Paul asks God that we would have the Spirit's power. Second, verses 18 through 19, Paul asks us to have clear eyes. Third, verse 19, Paul asks us to have full hearts. And fourth and finally, verses 20 through 21, Paul asks God for us to know that we can't lose. Uh, Sermon's outline, which is, as I said last week, very, not loosely, but very based on the TV show Friday Night Lights, um, is in your e-bulletin and projected behind me. Uh, Last week, we looked primarily at points one and two and uh, verses 14 through the beginning of verse 19. And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna briefly recap that discussion, but then I'm gonna spend the bulk of our time on points three and four, uh, full hearts can't lose. All right, so let's look together at verse 14 again. Paul is emotionally praying. He's on bended knee and that we would pray before we do. That's his prayer. Pray before we do. And so in the Christian life, Paul's praying that we would not skip point one of Paul's prayer. That we would, we would pray for the spirit of the power of God. And instead of that, oftentimes we just say, I want to get all in already with the game plan and we go to you know, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose <laughs> with life. Um, and really what he's saying is, uh, Paul's praying that we would not resort to do-it-yourself Christianity. That we wouldn't resort to merely fixing our behaviors, trying to stamp out our temptations only with atomic habits or Christian accountability. Paul's praying that we wouldn't do this sort of do-it-yourself Christianity that looks like just merely thinking differently about our lives, only trying to read or think our way to less painful emotions or to read or think our way to better choices. Paul's praying for something far bigger because do-it-yourself Christianity greatly underestimates the size and evil inside and outside of us. Sin goes so much deeper than our thoughts and our behaviors, and this sort of self-orientation is bigger than experts or self-control can handle. And do-it-yourself Christianity also underestimates, at the same time, perhaps even more, the size and scope of God's love, right? And this is why Paul offers us the remedy of prayer. Prayer is this opportunity for us to decrease and God to increase. But notice what Paul prays for, because it tells us how people actually change, as we talked about last week. He, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength too. Paul prays here that the, the spirit of Jesus would come and he would dwell in our hearts richly and so that the roots and the foundation of Jesus's love would strengthen us to change for the better in our actual lives. And really, I just said, look, last, last week, we said this again, I, and this is what this passage is suggesting, that people change from the inside out. People change from the inside out, Right? Out of the overflow of our hearts, we not only speak, we also act, we also think, and we also feel. And then secondly, people change because of Jesus' love for us. So change from the inside out, and we also change because of Jesus' love. Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection is the good news, the gospel, 
because it means that when others demote you, even then, God claims you. And Jesus' unrivaled love, his unrivaled love claims us as his very own, even though we don't deserve that. And really, like, this recap for those of you last week is, is help, probably a helpful refreshment, but it's such an important point that I'm going to add a new example to it. I want to give you some sort of illustration of how God's spirit and the gospel of Jesus are what actually change us. Brian Chappell tells a story about a, a couple who are leading a marriage conference. Uh, and they have a familiar but oh so important story, how they nearly lost their marriage, but also how it was healed. And this couple paused at that moment of healing and long enough to ask a question out loud. It was a good question. It was a really good question that, that, by the way, equally applies to us if we're not married, but also applies to other spheres of our life, like friendships and families, workplaces, and even the church. This is the question that they asked out loud. What enabled us to face our sin against one another and against God? What enabled us to face our sin against one another and against God? It wasn't psychological insight into what they were really thinking, nor was it good books with five good Christian steps to willpower your way to a better you. It wasn't convicting Bible verses about bad choices that they'd made. In this couple's own words, we could not change until we were given the freedom to see our sin and to go to the cross and to be safe. We could not change until we were given the freedom to see our own sin and go to the cross and be safe. And what gives this kind of freedom? The power of God's love. And we encounter this love through his Holy Spirit and his gospel message of Jesus' death Jesus died on a cross for us to be free and to be safe from our sins, whether those sins are judgmental thoughts, withholding love, or even adultery. And we need clear eyes, though, don't we, to see the power of God's love. And that's Paul's second prayer request. He's asked God for the Spirit's strength in our inner beings, and now he's asking God for clear eyes to comprehend, in Paul's words, with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Essentially, Paul is asking for each of us, together with the saints, that we'd be able to see, not, or just even just to take in more of the supernatural love of Christ. And verses 18 through 19 just underline how impossible this is under our own steam, right? The width, the length, the breadth, and the height even of Jesus' good love surpasses knowledge itself. It's bigger even than our knowing. Try to take that in for a second. Like heaven to earth, the reach of Christ's love exceeds our grasp. We can't control the love of Christ. We can't contain it even. It's a flood, it's a waterfall that overflows our hearts and our minds. And so Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would take us by our tiny, thin hands and show us the four-dimensional reality. 
breadth by breadth, length by length, height by height, depth by depth of the love of Christ, all while softly reassuring us that we never have to go about this empty again. And that's really the sure, this reassurance is behind Paul's third prayer request for the Ephesians and for us, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Or in the words of our, our sermon's outline, third point, and the TV show, Friday Night Lights, <laughs> full hearts, verse 19. That's what we're looking at. So Paul's prayed for the Holy Spirit to strengthen our hearts with his power. He has prayed for us to comprehend all the dimensions of Jesus Christ's love. And now Paul is asking for us to comprehend, excuse me, now Paul is asking for us to be filled with the fullness of God. The fullness that God is filled with. What does that mean? Can we pause and ask that question? What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Simply put, Paul is praying that we would be filled full of God's presence, his spirit, right? That Paul is praying that our salvation would not just get us into heaven, but that our salvation, our relationship with Jesus, would also mean that heaven is getting inside of us. But notice what this implies about all human beings, and we just have got to be radically honest here, we are not born spiritually full. We don't come by love's fullness naturally. We only come by it supernaturally. I love this singer-songwriter named David Wilcox. It's a little dated, I get that. Uh, if you look him up, he's got a nice, nice, nice haircut. But the reality of being human is so much in what he sings. Um, and he's got this great song called Break in the Cup. And David Wilcox um, writes about this close relationship. The image in the song is of one friend or lover pouring out words of affirmation and quality time and acts of service. He's pouring out these affections or she's pouring out these affections into someone else. And the image here is like, uh, they're pouring out affections like a, a stream of tea into a mug, okay? But no matter how much affection or approval or affirmation is poured out, the other person's heart can't hold it in, can't hold in the warm affection. The tea is leaking out of a crack in the mug. And so the first person giving the love feels like his or her love is never enough. And so in the, in the words of the song, I try so hard to please you to be the love that fills you up. I try to pour out sweet affection, but I think you've got a broken cup. But the emptiness is always shared. And so I think it's really interesting. It's not just a you problem. It's also a me problem. And so this is what David Wilcox writes. But now how can I still be so empty with all this love that you pour on me? I guess you cannot make me happy. And that's a money back guarantee. <laughs> And at the end of his song, though, Wilcox points us to some sort of solution of sorts. He proposes this much bigger answer. And here's how he writes it. We cannot trade empty for empty. We must go to the waterfall. For there's a break in the cup that holds love inside of us all. And this is what Paul's praying for here. For us to receive the waterfall of all meaning and satisfaction 
freedom and hope, affection and approval, what Paul calls all the fullness of God. And Paul prays for this because he knows that we are, when we are being filled with the fullness of God, we become less demanding of others, right? We don't demand other people to serve us. Instead, out of the overflow of God's fullness, we serve them. And guess what happens? God infills that emptied space with more of himself. Filled with all the fullness of God, we no longer need to look to things to refill us in all of our empty spaces. We no longer have to look for money or fitness or romance or sex or children's achievements or hobbies or politics or the next fun-tivity. These things simply won't do the trick. And finally, Paul chooses to pray verse 19 for us, because he knows that prayer is a filling station. It's a filling station for the fullness of God. And by the way, so is singing hymns and spiritual songs. So is reading the Bible and listening to sermons and sitting with wise people. All of these are filling stations, what are sometimes called the means of grace. These are ways and places that we can stick the mug of our hearts into the falling fast fullness of God, the waterfall of Jesus's love and glory. And we can be filled spiritually full over and over and over again. But if you're anything like me, you probably found a way to make Paul's three-part prayer into something you do. And so therefore, uh, something that you can miss out on somehow, right? Uh, we can cry out internally, but God, I'm not strong enough. I don't see your love as that big. And I don't really feel that full most of the time. And this is why Paul ends his prayer the way he does, right? We, he ends into what, what we might call benediction, a good word or blessing. In this case, verses 20 through 21, Paul has a good word, and it's a good word about God. And it blesses us with this promise. With God, you can't lose. You can't lose. Fourth point. I appreciate the way the message version of the Bible puts it, verse 20. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. In other words, how can I ever think I'll be strong enough in my inner being? How can I ever believe I'll comprehend the four dimensions of Christ's love? How can I ever live a life as if I were actually filled full of God? Answer, because of who God is, not because of us. And who is God? According to the earlier in Paul's prayer, verses 14 and 15, God is our father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That is God's glory falls fast like a waterfall over all of heaven and all of earth. And so God offers each human being the meaning and purpose of a name and the fulfillment and satisfaction, the freedom and hope, the affection and approval of a relationship as the dearest children of a generous and wise father who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can think 
or ask. And really, according to the power within us, verse 20, God can and will far surpass even our own expectations. That's the point of this. And we know this just by looking honestly at what God has already done in our lives. Just think about it this way. For instance, right here, right now, you are part of a global, multinational institution that should not exist, the church. You are as close as a brother or sister and speak the same soul language as people from very nearly every different culture, personal background, income, and social class on the planet. Do you realize that you could actually like walk into and be warmly welcomed as a family member at any given Sunday morning service in a Nigerian village? You could go to a closed secret house church meeting in China and be welcomed. You could go and I could go to a potluck fellowship supper of internationals in a high-rise apartment in Saudi Arabia and be included. That is an ordinary looking miracle. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And you know what? God can, can and he will surpass our expectations for ourselves and others personally even. For instance, once I asked a hurting and very spiritually skeptical teenager what I could pray for. And after some convincing, he actually told me what I could pray for. And it was super specific. He said, you can pray for me to get $35. So we prayed. So, we, so I felt like this request was slightly challenging. Uh, Let's stump the pastor, for instance. I'll see what he can do. Um, but also, I think it was kind of sincere. And there's a heart, real beautiful heart behind it. And so I prayed with him for it on the spot. And do you know what? Days later, he cleaned his room, and he found, hidden in a cardboard box, an unused $50 gift card and a $20 bill. Do you know what happened there? He got $70 exactly two times what we prayed for. That's an ordinary looking miracle. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. But let me end with this simple takeaway. Paul's prayer and closing blessing about God should fundamentally change what we pray for. What's going on in this prayer in Ephesians should change what we actually pray for. When's the last time that you just prayed for something impossibly big? Because we have an impossibly big God in heaven. I love the way that the poet Robert Browning puts it. A man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for? And so we pray I can't, you can, help. And when we reach for heaven in our prayers, we can say the unsayable. Why can we do that? Because we have discovered the unthinkable. Here's what's so unthinkable. This impossibly big God is impossibly in love with us. He sees it all. This is everything we can ask or think. 
about him, about others, about ourselves. And often without saying a word, Jesus' uninterrupted, intimate eye contact with us is asking, will you let me in? Will you keep me in with my love? Because ultimately, prayer is not just an Amazon wish list, is it? It's an uninterrupted, intimate filling station where you, you bond, you break down barriers, you feel felt and connected. And of course, you fall even more and possibly in love with God, the God who is impossibly both your maker and your husband. Would you pray with me again? Father, thank you for this challenging prayer, but also really comforting prayer. (laughs) Help us to change the ways that we think of you and change the ways that we pray Help us change the ways that we feel about you and change the ways that we pray. Help how we pray change what we do. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're up to, even in our midst and even with us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I've never actually timed our communion, but it's roughly four minutes, isn't it? Four minutes of kind of, in so many ways, an invitation to four minutes of uninterrupted, intimate gaze of Jesus Christ. And how do we sit in that? He's given us something to do to be in his presence. He's given us his body made bread and his blood made wine and juice. And, he's, and these things are asking us those questions, right? Will you let me in and keep me in this week? By, your, by my own spirit, And what will that look like? What will that be like? Eating and drinking.